Listener Production. Hello, welcome to the Penny Drops. My name is Maddie J, and today on episode three, we are talking about relationships and money. Maybe you're saving to buy a house, maybe you're interested in budgeting, or maybe you just want to go on a European holiday but you only have $28 in your account. Whatever the reason, we're all in this together. So get ready for the penny to drop. Oh, and uh, one more thing before we start. I need to remind you that the information in this podcast is for educational purposes only. If you're seeking advice for your own personal situation and needs, then I strongly recommend meeting with a professional to get something personally tailored, just like I did. Well, if you've been following the podcast at this point, you should have a financial plan and budget down pat. And hopefully like me, you are feeling a lot more confident and excited about your finances, but we still have a very long way to go. In this episode, we're talking about relationships and speaking with two different experts because no matter how much you love your partner, trying to merge your lives and your money together can be a very bumpy ride. In fact, financial stress is the number one cause of relationship breakdowns, according to Relationships Australia research. Talking about finances with your partner can be a tricky thing to navigate. I mean, how do you bring it up? How do you compromise if you don't agree? Which is exactly why I'm sitting down with a psychologist to better understand how to have hard conversations about money with your partner. Elizabeth Shaw is CEO of Relationships Australia, New South Wales, and a clinical and counselling psychologist specialising in couple and family work. Now, I doubt Elizabeth has ever seen a relationship like mine, so I figured I would kick off our chat with a very important non-money-related question. Elizabeth, does my relationship have any chance of success considering it started when I was dating 24 women at the one time? <laughs> well, it's you'd have to ask her, does she feel beautifully selected and very, very special having come from that very clear field or not, you know? So obviously you chose well. I'm going to answer on Laura's behalf and I'll say yes. Good. Well, that's what you want to hear. <laughs> and as long as you feel that too, then you're on to a winner. Why do you think it is that finances can put such a strain on relationships these days? Look, I think money and relationships can always be a poor mix, all sorts of relationships, and uh, including business partners. You know, when money comes between you, then it can feel very pointy. You can feel really at risk because money is associated with our very need to survive. And it can be the difference between being bankrupt or, you know, not being able to pay your mortgage. So you can feel very threatened by your security. So that takes people to quite a dark place. I think with couples too, um, talking about money, it's one of those sort of, oddly enough, it's kind of like an issue of privacy, you know, that a lot of couples just don't discuss it because initially they don't want to ask about someone's finances. They think, oh, that's a bit personal or um, I don't want to look like I'm after your money. So maybe I'll just find out over time, do you appear to dress well? Do you seem to live in a nice place? Shall I just guess? And so in fact, it becomes quite an undiscussed area because of this thing like I'm I'm awkward around it. And um, it's one of the few areas that's still quite taboo. It shouldn't be. 
Um, but therefore, we find that people get into relationships sometimes just based on assumptions. Like, I assume that if we make a commitment, it will mean certain things, like you'll suddenly stop spending like that, or um, you will be wanting to save for our first home, or we will be having a joint bank account. And so these assumptions can get people into trouble because they might find their partner actually has no intention of any of those things. What would your advice be for relationships that are are just beginning? When is the right time to have the conversation about money? Look, I think you're probably um, already living a good arrangement where nothing's come to your attention that we need to talk because all the signs are that you're on the same page. So that could be different to somebody else who thinks they're in that territory, but it's actually a whole set of assumptions and they're looking with a jaundiced sort of eye. So I think the thing to do is to discuss it as soon as it occurs to you, which might be a sort of loose answer. But as soon as it's on your mind in any relationship area, if it's coming to mind, then something's on your radar. And even if that's just your own personal anxiety around it, or it's something you're reading, It's just good to raise it at the opportune time because the time will present itself if you're looking for it and you can ease it into the conversation rather than say, can we sit down, I need to do a big talk. So I think that's one thing. The other thing is to maybe pick a pivotal time in the relationship, like we're talking about moving in together. What's that going to mean about what else are we combining? Like what's our vision for how we'll pay the rent? Who's going to buy what? You know, immediately there are financial conversations, or it could even be we're going on holiday together. How do we want to do that? Are we just going to pay our own way? Do we want to save together? I think you can ease it into those sorts of conversations um, in a way. And, And also, I think very early on, depending on what your dates are like, if one person wants to go to a high end restaurant, and the other one can only afford something cheap, it will just come up as an issue of difference that will need to be discussed. Now, When it comes to the most frequently asked question, there is one that stood out more than any other. And I even put the question out there on my Instagram and it was almost 90% of people want to know this answer. And I'm going to put you on the spot. When it comes to having a joint bank account, is that the right thing to do or the wrong thing to do? Well, sadly, I'm going to pick in the middle that it actually is not, it has no particular meaning or substance. So for, I thought you were going to say that. <laughs> it, really, it really is about preference. Um, I think for practicality, people often have a joint account, but they might keep individual ones as well. So there might be a mortgage account or something like that, or a housekeeping kind of account. But for many people nowadays, they will keep a separate bank account where their salary will go into, and they'll just set up direct debits for the bills that need to be paid. So for other people who are, you know, often a bit insecure, those become really big symbols of are you really committed or not? And then the joint bank account has meaning that it shouldn't really have. It's often driven by other anxiety, like maybe other things I'm picking up in the relationship that you're not really on board. In and of itself, it should just be a practical thing that has no particular meaning to it. And couples are getting together later now, particularly if you just look at marriage as one point, not everyone gets married, but people are getting married closer to 30 now than compared to, say, 20 And so therefore people are established with their own routine. They might have their own debts um, as well as their own uh, bills. And so keeping things separate can actually be quite a good thing. It can protect your interests, but also allow more autonomy in the relationship. And and on a good day, it also means you can buy presents for the other one and they're never going to (laughs) know. Let's hope it's got a positive spin as well. (laughs) So when you talk about differences, I'd like to present to you a, a hypothetical 
if you have a couple, let's say they've been together for four years. So, you know, it's long-term, they're committed. One person in the relationship wants to buy a house, going in together, going 50-50, whereas the other person has no interest whatsoever. They want to buy it by themselves. How would you suggest the conflict resolution like that would take place given that two people have two very different needs and wants when it comes to such a a major milestone moment in their life? Look, it is very difficult because, again, it's often the meaning attached to it. Is the one buying a house just wanting the house and otherwise everything's the same or is it actually quite defining in terms of taking the relationship to another level So when the other rejects it, is it actually, I don't want to be a homeowner or is it, I'm actually not sure where this relationship's going? So I think the first thing you have to do is say, well, this feels like it's a bit disturbing. Let's really nut out what are all the elements. Is there any other agenda here? Is there any other meaning I should read into this? If it is just about different houses, they both, in fact, would like to buy independently. Um, I've worked with couples that have done that. And one is the homeowner and the other one just simply doesn't want a mortgage and is absolutely happy to pay rent. You know, I think that can be difficult for the couple, again, if they read something into it, but it doesn't have to be. It's actually just how you resolve it, whether it stays as a a disturbance between you or if it is something you can really make peace with. The other thing is that if the person actually needs someone to be on the mortgage and may feel like, well, you've held me back, we're in a relationship because you won't do this common thing with me, I can't buy a house. I think that impasse needs to be worked through in another way because if that person's ready to buy a house, maybe having someone pay rent or a couple of people pay rent should be considered as just as viable rather than suddenly saying, well, my partner's holding me back because maybe too much is riding on a partner as the solution to your goals. So then in terms of conflict resolution, it's such an important part of a relationship and it's an area where a lot of people don't have a lot of guidance. What tips can you give for anyone out there who may be struggling to have a, an argument or a discussion regarding finances with their partner? Look, there's a few things that stand you in good stead with relationships generally. So I think when we start to ruminate on things, you know, and you go over discussions in your head and you usually make out that you've come out better than your partner, you know, usually the problem is the other person. And so a lot of people who've gone over it and maybe talked to friends and family, they've decided, why is this person getting in my way or why are they so annoying or what's the matter with them? So I think the first thing to do is to actually start to think, what what are we caught up in? Bring it back to a we what do we do? Do we have crappy arguments because it goes off track or, you know, is it is it is there a we in it? Is there something, a barrow that I'm pushing that I should own rather than say they're failing me? Is there some way they might experience me as failing them? So to try and get back into putting yourself in the shoes of the other, being accountable for the way in which you're driving it. So I've had people say, oh, I've raised this with them many times, they just won't engage. And I say, I always ask, and when did you raise it? And it's often, well, last thing before bed. I raised it at midnight (laughs) last night. They walked through the door and I raised it. You know, I I raised it when they were in the bath. And and in fact, it's a setup. So, um, So I think how people go about the argument is often the problem. So I think own your own part, be accountable for that, be open to the feedback you get, entertain your partner's criticisms. If they say you're just so tight with money, 
rather than be defensive, say, look, is it possible I come across like that? That will mean you go into the conversation in a softer place. It's always good to declare good intentions. I don't want us to fight. I really want us to resolve this. I've been very sad about how our conversations are going. I suspect I'm, you know, not performing at my best. Can we try again to talk about this? That's a lovely overture. It's very hard for a partner to be outraged at that suggestion. But if you go in and say, oh, again, I want to raise with you that you never blah, 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 it gets people's back up and they're defensive from the beginning and that's not very helpful. It's something that as we talk about in this environment, it's very, it sounds very easy to do. But I know that in an argument, it's very easy to drift towards those little snide remarks of going, hey, you're such a tight ass. But that's not going to help anyone, is it? Look, it's absolutely not. And in the end, how you see your partner is your own reaction to them. So you might see them as very tight. Another partner might see them as delightfully cautious, um, you know, and <laughs> well, you as well spendthrift. But this is the thing that that I think usually we, we judge people in contrast to ourselves. They're not objectively something usually. They're in contrast to us. So someone else is tight compared to my generosity, you know, that sort of thing. Um, but but may not be generally that. Um, so I think I think trying to entertain why your partner is the way they do they are, and you try and really understand them. You will go into the conversation from a generous spot. You still might think I'm you're really tight, but if you think, well, if I do see them as that, I wonder what could have led them to be more cautious. And then you might think, well, their family grew up under more restrictive circumstances or they've always worried about money or they're anxious people. or And then you, you know, you come into it. You still may not like that they're tight, but you come into it with a kindness, which is um, the argument's less likely to get out of hand if you approach it like that. Now, I think there's one person who I need to speak to in order to sort out our finances, and that would be Laura. That is the next conversation I need to have because it's one that we have been putting off for a very long time. But the information you've given me, I think is absolutely perfect in how to tackle those conversations, which can sometimes be really tricky. So Elizabeth, thank you so much. It's a pleasure. So now that I know the do's and don'ts and I understand the emotional side a little better, it's time to meet with Sean Lewis, Group Executive at Commonwealth Bank. Sean is going to teach us how to finance-proof our relationship. And when I say us, I don't just mean me and you. It's only fair that Laura comes along for this one as well. Do I need to bring a calculator to this? Look, it's not essential, but maybe it'd help. And look, just remember, in this conversation, you can ask absolutely anything. Can I ask Sean why you never clean the ensuite bathroom, even though you're the only person who uses it? I don't think you've ever cleaned it since we've moved in here. <laughs> okay, when I say anything, I mean to do with finances. That question is off limits. Can I ask her why you spend so much money on coffee? Like, I don't think I know anybody else who spends as much money on coffee as you do. Like, three out-of-home coffees a day. Ah, I can't Triple wait shot. for this conversation. Let's go talk <laughs> with Sean. Sean, thank you so much for joining us. Thanks, Maddie. It's great to be here. When it comes to managing your finances with your partner, what rules should we be following? Mm. Well, Matthew, it's all very different for different people. So there's no magic formula, but I think there's a few things that you can really make sure that you set your partnership up for success financially. Uh, the first one, Make sure your financial responsibilities are shared. You understand what you're getting into. You're both committed to it so that you both understand how you're going to, you know, pay the mortgage or the rent or, you know, pay for that car or that extra holiday. Be transparent. 
as you would be, you know, honesty is grace in any relationship and honesty about finances is even more important. Um, and make sure you both have an equal voice in the financial decision-making. You don't want any one of the member of the partnership to be thinking they're being kind of coerced or forced into taking on commitments or, or making purchases or savings that they don't want to do. And what do you think? So in a situation that two people have extremely different money personalities, how do you navigate that? Like what are the steps to getting on the same page? For, for example, Sean, I don't like to pay bills. <laughs> I have no idea. If you just don't open the mail ever, it's it, almost like they don't exist. That's I right. Think. They just go away. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, you just hope that you get to a relationship where someone does like paying the bills. So if I think about my own relationship, I don't pay the bills. My partner does. Uh, but she's very organised and has a spreadsheet. And her father was an accountant. She likes to get it done and get it done properly. So talk about it. What do I like doing? Maybe you've got one partner who really likes thinking about the future and um, how you might save for your deposit on a mortgage or the special holiday. Another partner really likes to keep things tidy and regular. The other thing to do is if neither of you really like paying the bills, use some of the the tools in in many banks' um, uh, apps that they have so that you can look at what bills are coming up, schedule reoccurring payments and just get it done for you so that the basics happen and you can think about the more interesting things about what you can do with your money. So, Shine, if I wanted to, let's say, hide an expense, let's <laughs> say I want to buy a new surfboard, how can I do that with Laura, who's very vigilant with our finances? Yeah, I'd suggest you don't. Yeah. <laughs> That's a really healthy step in the relationship. Good, just writing that one down. I, I, th- I think, you know, everybody's entitled to some independent money, I think, and but that's something you can have a discussion about. It's kind of have a joint account but have two individual accounts and keep a small amount of money, agree how much that money is because I want to be able to go out and buy my surfboard. My particular indulgence is music. So, you know, I want to be able to buy a vinyl record every now and again without uh, thinking, is that going to break the budget that uh, that my partner's looking after? So you might want to decide to keep some money a little bit separately and that becomes your meals out, your weekends with the girls, your surfboard. But you both know that you've got enough money collectively to cover the things that you need to cover and to save for those things that you've mutually agreed to save for. When you said earlier and you said that, you know, you might be in a partnership with someone and they have a very different, like, mindset towards yeah. money. They might be really organised. They might take control of the mm-hmm. money in a relationship. I think it's mm-hmm. often that one person sort of seems to be the person that kind of understands the finances maybe a little bit more than the other. Yeah. How important do you think it is, though, to have a level of financial literacy in a relationship so that you both at least have a, a good idea of what's going on? Vitally important, I think. Um, you know, because somebody's doing the enacting on your finances does not mean they make the financial decisions. So I think getting together regularly, you know, maybe monthly, uh, talking about your budget, talking about what you want to save for for the future, uh, understanding some of the decisions that might be you might want to make in the future or that somebody's made in the month because they needed to on the run. It's just about transparency and understanding. So no problem if someone's great at organising finances and does that for you and is really interested but they should be joint decisions. You should both know about what's happening and you should both be able to uh, input to the discussion about what's going on. When you talk about making it equal, what would you recommend in a, in a case where people's incomes aren't equal? Is there a magic formula for what portion of your income should go towards bills? No, I don't think there's a magic formula. Uh, my partner doesn't work uh, and I do. So there's the unequal uh, income, but we're a partnership. So, you know, the money is ours because we choose a lifestyle 
that means that I get incredibly well looked after, but I'm the breadwinner. So I think, again, it's just about mutual agreement. How do you want to, what lifestyle do you want to live? You want to pay fewer bills, you've got to live a different lifestyle. Uh, But if you want to have a lovely house and go on holiday, there's bills attached to that. And one or both of you have got to earn the money to be able to pay for it. Sean, we want lots of surfboards in the house <laughs> and uh, maybe a few bikes as well. Yeah, absolutely. Our apartment is not big enough for your <laughs> collection of things that you never use. <laughs> yeah, well, you've got to agree. How many bikes per year? I think, um, I think well, the answer is many. Um, I think that when it comes to having a joint bank account, I think that's a big question that people always ask, you know, us, ourselves included is, mm. Well, do we go all in to this joint account mm. or do we do we do want to have a separate account? And then how do I decide how much of my income goes into the joint account versus what goes into my own personal account that I'll still keep? I personally think it's a good idea to have an independent account, if, if only because it means you can do nice things to your partner without them knowing uh, because you've got an independent source of funds. But that's not completely necessary. I know lots of very healthy relationships where they have a joint account you need to make sure you both know the passwords. You need to have access to it at all times so that you know what's going on there. And in terms of how much you want to put jointly, how much I've, I've known couples who actually completely separate uh, accountabilities. So somebody pays for the children's expenses, the other one pays for the mortgage. They might not be equal in terms of expenditure, but that's what they've agreed. So they manage that. For others, it's a question of, you know, at their monthly meetings, they look at their budget, they they see how much they've got regularly going out and they say, well, that's what we're going to put in the joint account each month. Everything else can be in our individual accounts. Again, it comes back to that, have the conversation, be transparent about it. And if it's not working for you for some reason, you know, maybe you agreed this two years ago, your partner's now earning a lot more, you're not, you're not happy about the equality of what's going in the joint account, it's tough, but have that conversation and, and say how you're feeling. I think that's interesting in when you say have that conversation, but how often do you think you should be having this conversation around money with your partner? Like how often should it be coming up as something that you sit down and go, cool, we're going to readdress where we're at with our finances? Mm. I think it depends on what stage of life you're at. As, as you get a little bit older and things become a bit more stable, you, you may not need to talk about money for you know, per quarter. But I think when you're starting out, having a good monthly conversation about how did it go? You know, we thought we had enough money in the joint account to cover all our bills and expenditures. Was that right? Have we got a bit of extra money to save? I think having, you know, monthly, maybe make it part of, uh, you know, a less fun date night, a serious date night of the month, <laughs> yeah. uh, just to go out, treat yourself to going out to your favourite restaurant or having a breakfast one uh, one morning at your favourite restaurant and say, okay, uh, let's just talk about how last month went, what's next month looking like. So just Pick a routine that works for you, but make sure you stick to it. I think that is one area of our relationship that we have severely neglected, Laura. I don't want to point fingers at us for doing the wrong thing. I but mean, we do like to sit on realestate.com and look at all the houses we can't afford. I don't know if that <laughs> constitutes as part of it. But... Um, a monthly meeting? Yeah, it's like, oh, look at this house. It's got a car lift that we definitely will never be able to buy. That's fun. <laughs> one thing I want to talk to you about, which is a little bit more serious, and mm. I think... There's lots of conversations about relationships and the two biggest things that can come up as conflict. I think number one is cheating and number two can be finances. And I think that that can present itself in a lot of different ways. And one of those ways being financial abuse in a relationship. I think this could be um, targeted to anyone, but I think predominantly we might see this in females um, being 
in a situation where they don't have financial control and maybe that erodes over time. How important do you think it is for someone when you say having this little bit of money Mm. set aside, but just to have that financial independence to make personal decisions or to be able to have that freedom? Can you talk to me about how much you see that as being an issue Mm. in what you do for a living? Sure. So I think having financial independence is is uh, important, but I think the the really important thing is to watch out for the signs of financial abuse. We know that you know domestic and family violence in Australia is is, is at hugely unacceptable levels, and uh, you know research indicates that financial abuse is is present uh, either as a precursor or during incidents of domestic and family violence in about ninety percent of the time. Uh, wow. It's another way of controlling your partner. So I think the the things to look for are we've talked about transparency. So if suddenly there's a joint account that you haven't got the passwords for, that you're paying the bills and your partner is actually spending their money on themselves, if you are actually being limited from your ability to get work or travel to work, you know, we've heard horrible stories of people not being given enough money to pay for petrol during the week so that they can't actually get employment. Any of those things start to happen, and it usually starts with the don't worry about it, dear. I'm looking after it. You don't need the passwords. You don't need to see the bank account. Uh, it's all under control. It can seem very supportive. Great. I don't, I'm not interested in finance. It's lovely that they're looking after it for me. Don't let that happen. You are always entitled to see your money and your partner's money as part of a, a relationship on whatever rules you've agreed and not allow it to gen- generate into a form of control. Uh, And that's when it becomes very hard then to extricate yourself because you haven't got access to the means to to escape. Speaking of financial abuse, is there a type of person who's more susceptible to this than others? Absolutely not. It's very much like domestic violence. It's throughout society. While there is a predominance of female victims, it can happen in same-sex relationships. Um, It can happen to men in in heterosexual relationships. It really is something that can happen to anyone. There is no no economic uh, guideline or social guideline to say who will be a victim of this. It's actually about, it's about personality. It's about control. Um, it, It isn't about how much you earn, whether you're well off or not. It could happen to anybody. Just going back a little bit in regards to how you can contribute to your relationship financially equally. And maybe there is no equal for everyone. It's yeah. obviously a very different ball game. But what is your opinion on percentages? So just say, you know, and I'm, I ask this because in my past I dated a guy, he earned a lot of money, but he was very persistent on us splitting everything 50-50 down the middle mm-hmm. by the dollar, which yeah. meant that I always had no money and yeah. he was always fine. And it became a huge point of contention in our relationship. Yeah. What's your opinion on doing like a percentage split of your income? Is that a fairer way of going about attacking your joint finances? Yeah, I, I think it's really difficult to put a dollar amount or a percentage on it. Um, The reality is with that previous relationship, you felt resentful of the way that you were both managing money together and your former partner didn't change. That's something that can't be resolved. But it might be fine for somebody else to work on that basis. They might feel okay with it. Again, I would come back to what things are you going to do jointly? How do you both contribute to that jointly? I think as time goes on, and more and more things become joint. You mentioned you've had children. It's very difficult to half a child <laughs> and decide which half of their expenses We've got two, you're gonna, so it's easy. Right, okay. I'm taking Marley May and he's taking Lola. <laughs> well, I, I want Lola. No, I want, I want Marley May. Yeah, she's gone to a fun age. Of course you do. Uh, but, you know, you might decide actually, well, now you've got two children, uh, we're going to have a different way. It, you know, there's going to be less in those individual bank accounts. There's going to be more going into the joint accounts because actually – 
you know, you need to put your children first. You need to think about what they need first. That All of those dynamics, which is why that regular conversation, we started splitting everything 50-50. I now feel a little bit resentful because we're doing everything together. We're probably living in an apartment that I wouldn't afford on my salary on the basis of your salary, but it's leaving me feeling like I haven't got any money. What should we do about that? Yeah, I think it's an important one to note that the rules that you put in play can be fluid. That's right. It's not going to be a one size fits all for your entire life because, you know, your life changes, your circumstances change. That's right. And what we were spending, say, two years ago is very different yeah. to what we're spending now. I mean, the That's good right. thing is we literally never leave the house because we have two kids. It's got nothing to do with COVID. It's got to do with having two kids under two. That's right, exactly. So, you know, the entertainment budget's probably gone down quite significantly. The uh, toys and uh, uh, nappies, nappies and, and baby clothes and, yeah. Yeah. Um, so it will it will change over time. I know when I've been in a relationship for 30 years, when we first started out, we had separate accounts. Then we brought a house together, but we made sure that we had, I actually had 60% of the first house and 40% for my partner because I was earning slightly more. And we put that out in the, the mortgage agreement. By the time we were buying our second house, which was kind of, you know, 10, 11 years into the relationship, it was like, yeah. It's 50-50 now. Mm. It really doesn't matter anymore because we've lived together for so long. How would you unpick all yeah. of the, who bought the light bulb, who did the, <laughs> uh, and so it will evolve over time and it's about what you both feel comfortable with and what you're both sharing. It's funny, I, I'm having flashbacks to the early stages of our relationship where I would say to Laura, hey, I got the food last night. It's your turn. And now it's just like, whatever. Whose parking fine is this? Yeah. We'll, we'll, we'll both pay it. I That's did notice right. you paid for both my parking fines this week. Thanks for that. <laughs> you're, you're welcome. Sean, when it comes to debt and relationships mm. and taking on assets together, yeah. I think a big question that a lot of people have is, well, what happens if, you know, we don't want to talk about the relationship mm. going south, but, you know, hypothetical, if we did go separate ways with yeah. me and my partner, what happens to these assets and what do you recommend that people do if they haven't already got a clear idea of what that get out situation is? Yeah. So firstly, understand your legal obligations. So credit cards, for example, they'll be a main card holder and you might have a secondary card. If the uh, relationship goes south, it's the main card holder who will be deemed to be legally accountable for the debt. So understand in all of the debt arrangements you've got, how you've positioned your uh, mortgage as well. Are you joint owners or not? Really understand what debt you've got into and who's seen as primary. And then have the conversation about, well, we're both jointly using this credit card or we both live in this house. If the worst happens, what would we do? You might want to go and see uh, an advisor, a financial counsellor or someone to help you. It's much, much, it's infinitely better to have those conversations where things are going well and to record it somewhere so that you both have got a place to go back to than to try and do that in the emotional heat of a separation or a breakup or a bad time. That's when it becomes difficult to do it without legal help. It becomes very expensive. And the reality is whoever's illegally, legally accountable for the debt will be the person who's pursued to recover it. So understand how all of your debt is structured, have a conversation now when things are going really well about how you're going to deal with it should the worst happen. And uh, then you'll have a place to go back to when you're perhaps not thinking as straight or as in, a, in, in such a great way when you're kind of emotionally vulnerable. 
just on this as well, I mean, not not just for couples who are going through a breakdown in their relationship, but I mean, I'm sure there's a lot of couples who are experiencing debt, but they're mm. still galvanized as a couple. They still want to be together. Yeah. How do you think as a couple you can kind of overcome once mm. you've gotten into debt? Are there some steps that can be taken that can, you know, kind of act on this faster, what would you recommend? So firstly, I'd, I'd, I'd sit down and look at your budget and I'd look at how you can actually start to pay down that debt. You may be able to do that independently. It's just a question of kind of changing lifestyle a little bit to get things under control. Of course, if you feel it's got out of control, I would strongly advise you to phone your bank or financial institution. We're actually here to help you. And the sooner you contact us, the sooner we can talk to you about solutions that will help you get back on your feet again. You can, of course, uh, approach Financial Councils of Australia and other independent and voluntary uh, Uh, services that can help you start to think about getting your life back in order. But basically it's about budget. What are we doing that's getting us into that position? How do we start to pay down debt? What do we need to change in our lifestyle? And if you need help, reach out to us and we'll be able to help you. This is a little story that you don't know, Matt. Well, I don't think you know this yet. Oh, gosh. <laughs> Strap what? yourself in. Well, here we go. <laughs> I am, um, before we got together, I had gotten myself into credit card debt mm. because I I run my own business and I and I didn't have the finances to set my business up. And I got myself into $25,000 worth mm. of credit card debt, which for me was on my very minimal wage that I was making yeah. was insufferable. Like mm. I, could, I couldn't get back on top of it. So I was only paying off the interest on that debt. And it was every month just kicking it down the road, paying like $600 in -hmm. interest. And, and it just kept on surmounting. And when you say, you know, call your banks, your banks are here to help you. I didn't understand that at the time. And I, Mm -hmm. in my mind, I was like, no, they're only going to want to make more money. But then I sat down and we had this really honest conversation around, I I took out a loan, which had very minimal interest. And we broke it down into really sizable repayments. And I paid it off in a couple of years. And cut up all my credit cards and have never run my business in that way ever again. But it was such an invaluable lesson that for me and for my personality type, credit cards just don't work for me. And so I've kind of learned to to steer clear of them. But without understanding that, without knowing that there are other ways of Mm. going about financing and just having those conversations, I would still be kicking that debt down the road. Exactly. And and going to your bank and getting some help about restructuring and getting to a place where you feel like you can get on top of it. It's just so important. The sooner you do that, the better for your mental and your financial health. That was an important conversation that we didn't have, Laura, when we, when we first got together is how <laughs> much debt do you have? Because I had already learned the lessons, I'd lived the life. My next question is not actually finance related. You mentioned you've been in a relationship now for 30 years. Mm. Um, are there any tips <laughs> that you can give myself and Laura in this uh, department? Yeah, choose someone superior to yourself in every respect. Done that. Uh, yep. And... <laughs> and uh, just keep working at it. I mean, over 30 years, things change so much. You go through so many different things. We've moved countries a couple of times and, you know, all of those throw up uh, new challenges and uh, uh, it's just a question of making sure that you're on the same page and that um, you remember you're human and you forgive each other. Fantastic. Sean, thank you so much for joining us today. Thanks, Massey. Thanks, Laura. Ah, Laura, look at us being so adultery. Being what? You know, just us, like so ad- grown up. Adulting. Adultery, whatever you want I don't to think it. that that's the word you're looking for, but yes, being two very mature adults talking about our finances. Mm-hmm. <laughs> 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 uh, look, it's, it's good to know that after speaking with the experts that 
We don't totally suck in this department. It's also nice to have someone like Sean just really reiterate that you're not allowed to go and buy more bikes or surfboards or things that we can't fit in our house. I am 100% doing that. I don't care what Sean said. I'll listen to everything else except the surfboard comment. Well, everybody else who's listening to this podcast, please don't take any of Maddie J's advice from here on in. But we've never had you know a formal sit-down chat to identify what the plan is and what we're going to do and how things are going to work out. But at the same time, we've been really fortunate that we've always been on that same page. Well, I guess we've always been pretty transparent with like our own income and our earnings and our savings. It's not like we've ever had a sit down. It's weird. Like we've never had like a proper sit down conversation around budgeting or finances, but we've always been really open with our money, which has meant that there's never been any arguments or any tension around finances. But I I think that we can pin that down to the fact that there's never been any surprises when it comes to how we both view and deal with money. I mean, mean, we've had a few surprise pregnancies, but never any surprise (laughs) finances. Sometimes I think we're a little too transparent. Like I don't need to know every single time you get a parking fine. Yeah, look, it's really, I mean, we've all got things that we can work on, don't we? But do you think when we very first got a joint bank account, just going back to something that was said a lot earlier in the podcast episode, but do you think that we did it out of pure necessity because it was a functional necessity? Or do you think we got a joint bank account (laughs) because there was a little bit of like a stake in the relationship? Like it was a real status quo to have a joint bank account. Like it, it, it symbolized more than just being convenient for us. Gosh, when I think back, I <laughs> I think it was more a case of, well, we now have a child together. We live with each other. I guess the normal thing to do right now is to get a joint bank account. Like I thought it was just like, we have to tick that box. I guess we already had the commitment of the children. I do remember when we had that conversation, I was like, we need to have a joint bank account because I'm the one that ends up buying all the essentials for the kids. And it was just because at the very beginning, especially when Molly was a newborn, she was with me more, which just meant that consequentially I was doing more of the kids shopping. And at the same time, I was quite happy that you brought it up because you were just starting to earn more money than me. So (laughs) I was like, do you know what? This is, this is a great idea. Well, Laura, thank you so much for joining me on this episode. I told you, I promised you it was going to be a lot of fun. Do I invoice you or who do I invoice for this? Just (laughs) (laughs) before we go, a very quick recap of the key points that Laura and I have learned from today's episode. We're not going to make assumptions when it comes to how we think the other person is going to view money in our relationship. We are going to share financial responsibilities and have an equal voice at all times. And we're going to catch up at least once a month to discuss all of the important stuff. And lastly, There is no one size fits all. What works for one couple won't necessarily work for us. This podcast was produced on what always has been and always will be Gadigal land. That is it from me. And next week, if you don't know the difference between pre-approval and a pre-offer, well, I'm going to give you a preview of next week's episode. (laughs) See what I did there? Together, we're going to learn how to plan for buying a house from the experts. As always, if you have enjoyed this episode or found it helpful, please share, review and subscribe. Until then, spend less and save more. And if you don't, well, we'll work on that next week. This podcast was produced on what always has been and always will be Gadigal Land. Listener.